This evening, uh, we're going to continue our series in 1 Corinthians, so I invite you to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you remember last Sunday morning, I actually didn't finish the sermon. Remember that? Uh, so tonight, I intend to do that. I intend to uh, finish up the bit. It's been, it's been tearing me up for, uh, you know, over a week here, not being able to finish that sermon. So I'm actually going to do that, and, and uh, by, by, able, by being able to cover it this evening, I'm actually going to get more time to do so. Uh, so I've, I've uh, kind of enhanced it a bit. So if you actually have your notes from last Sunday morning, if you're that sort of person, you know, where you got all the notes in your Bible and it's just you got a stack of them in there, that'll come in handy. You don't need it, though. There weren't a lot of blanks left anyway, and I'll try to uh, help you along this, this evening in understanding 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14. When we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we come to a discussion of spiritual gifts, Remember, the Corinthian church had asked Paul some questions about the gifts. Uh, they asked him questions like, Paul, uh, how can we determine who a spiritual person is? Or is there someone who can be more spiritual than another person? And Paul answers that near the beginning of this section when he says, those who declare that Jesus is Lord are of the Spirit. Uh, but they perhaps asked him other questions as well. It seems as if the Corinthian church is making a lot out of the gift of tongues. And uh, tonight we get to really start into our discussion of what is the gift of tongues and uh, what exactly is going on. Again, uh, we'll try to answer some of the questions that you might have about spiritual gifts as they come up in the text. Because I feel like the text is addressing them. You won't get all of your questions answered this evening, but I think you'll probably get a few if you pay close attention uh, as we go throughout the text. My goal this evening is to cover 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, the whole way up and in th- in through verse 11. I'm going to remind you of, of a few of the things we took care of last evening, and then we'll advance into some new territory. Um, if you remember, uh, when we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in verse 4, I suggest that Paul is starting a theology of gifts section where he begins laying out for us very important theological truths about spiritual gifts. And uh, he does this before he gets to some of the specific answers uh, that he wants to give to the Corinthian assembly regarding their questions. In this theology of the gifts, the first point is what I call the distribution of the gifts, verses 4 through 7. If you look down in your Bible and you just review a little of the, the, the ground we covered last week, you know that Paul says that the entire Godhead was involved in the distribution of the gifts. So in verse 4, you can see that the Holy Spirit was involved in giving different grace gifts to the assembly, different gifts that would spring out of grace, whether those are spiritual gifts as we would think of them, you know, as like a list of gifts, or whether those are other good gifts from God that came out of his grace, the Spirit is the one who's involved in the distribution of those grace gifts. Verse 5 says that it was the one Lord Jesus Christ who's involved as well in the gifts and that he's especially uh, performing or showing acts of service. It's the word services or ministries. That's the way Jesus is involved. Of course, Jesus in his life showed us how to serve and uh, those particular acts of service, Jesus is uh, a part of and demonstrating for us and empowering us for them. And then in verse 6, we saw the role of God the Father. God the Father empowers the gifts and is is involved in a whole variety of activities 
Or I, I said you could translate this in verse 6, effects or results. Reminds me of 1 Corinthians chapter 3 where it says, Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God was the one who gives the increase, produces the effects. And so uh, in verses 4 through 7, Paul talks about the distribution of the gifts. That leads us to verses 8 through 10. The second part of the theology of the gifts is what I call the extent of the gifts. In verse 7, right at the beginning of the verse, it says, For to each one is given. And so what Paul does in verses 8 through 10 is he gives us a demonstration of eight different gifts that have been distributed by the Holy Spirit to different people. Okay? And this is just a sample list. But if you remember, if you look down at verses 8 through 10, we made it about halfway through that list. And uh, we started working down through the list. And one of the things we, we discussed at the beginning was why these gifts and why in this order? Okay, so if you look in verse 8, you see he mentions the gift of knowledge, the gift of a word of knowledge and the gift of a word of wisdom. See that in your Bible? And we said that wisdom and knowledge that he's talking about, it's not just like normal wisdom and knowledge that God gives to all creation or created beings, uh, human beings, I should say, but that this is a special spiritual gift where God would give believers at, from time to time the ability to utter or to give a, a, a word of knowledge or wisdom to a believer, a, a word of new revelation from God to them that would help them in their situation. I suggested that perhaps those gifts may have been a problem in Corinth. Remember I said, I think the problem gifts are at the very beginning, the first two and the last two. And in between, you've got this group of five gifts, okay? After that, we, we went into the second set of gifts, and I called them miraculous and prophetic gifts. If you remember, uh, look in your Bible at verse 9. We should probably read there. Uh, and, and I can uh, make a few more comments. It says, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, and to another the ability to distinguish between spirits. We'll stop there. These five gifts seem to all be related in some way or another to the gift of faith that is the header for them. Uh, last week, I suggested that the gift of faith was not just like normal conversion faith. That's important, of course, for believers. But that it was a supernatural gift of faith that would enable someone to do powerful things or mighty things on behalf of God. Like work miracles and perform faith healings during the first century. Uh, we went to the Gospels. And we talked about the faith that Jesus talked about. When the disciples came to him, they couldn't cast out a demon. And uh, Jesus said, you know, if you had enough faith, the faith of the size of a mustard seed, you'd say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. We think that Paul's got some dynamic sort of faith in, in his mind. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he talks about, though we even have the gift of faith so as to move mountains, but have not love, it's nothing. And so what I want to suggest, first of all, about this center group is that faith is important for the four gifts that follow, okay? We talked about gifts of healing and miracle workers last week, too, and I suggested that that, that was a part of the first century, that those were confirmatory gifts given to early believers to 
confirm the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is who he says he is, and these gifts, working miracles and healings, were manifestations or signs given to early believers to verify the message of Jesus Christ to the world. And they, of course, require great faith. But that leads us to uh, the prophetic gifts, and uh, this is where uh, we'll pick up uh, from last week. Again, we're, we're looking at the extent of the gifts, and Paul's making the point. Each believer is given a gift, and he's just showing all these different ways people are gifted. So look in your Bible at, the, um, at verse 10. To another, the working of miracles, and then here we start afresh and anew. To another, prophecy, and to another, the ability to distinguish between the spirits. So first, we'll talk about the gift of prophecy. And of course, this is something that Paul is going to, to address in greater detail in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. When we get over to chapter 14, we'll slow down and we'll deal with it a bit more. But since I have the time this evening, um, the way I would describe prophecy, as I understand it in the New Testament, is the gift of prophecy is a gift of God's revelation to man. It's God revealing himself to mankind in some way or another. Some people like to say that the gift of prophecy is similar to preaching or teaching. I would say that they're different. And one of the reasons I'd suggest that is because in the New Testament, uh, one, of the, one of the ways I think you could demonstrate this is that women uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 are encouraged or expected to, uh, to have the gift of prophecy or to prophesy. Remember this? Only what is the requirement of women when they pray or prophesy in the church? What are they supposed to do? Remember this in the first century? Yeah, that fascinating, life-changing uh, sermon you had a while ago. Okay, uh, Head coverings. Okay, But Paul says when you gather and you, you go into the assembly and when you pray or prophesy in the assembly, women are supposed to cover your heads. That implies that women can do what then? Prophesy. You have the daughters of Philip as well who are prophesying in the New Testament. So women are allowed to prophesy in the assembly, but they're not supposed to preach or teach. Teach men, right? Not supposed to teach men. And there are different New Testament texts that demonstrate that as well. So I su suggest the gift of prophecy is different than preaching or teaching. And, and another way I think they're different, or a way they're different, is that preaching and teaching involved instruction from already given canonical revelation. Okay, so when I stand up here and I proclaim the word of God to you, I'm doing just that. I'm proclaiming the word of God, especially the written word of God. Okay, so prophecy and teaching is working with revelation that has already been given to us. Whereas prophecy, prophecy was uh, God giving new revelation through an individual, individual in the first century to proclaim to the church. Okay? Beyond that, we'll say more about prophecy in chapter 14, but that's one of the ways that you can understand this gift. It perhaps meant new revelation regarding the heart of an individual or their sin. Some old, or older New Testament texts, it could talk about new revelation regarding the future at times, although not, maybe not always necessary. It could reveal God's will or the, even the past. 
There's some prophetic utterances in the Old Testament where a prophet would come and he would reveal something to a person that the, there's no way the prophet should have known that. You know, I think of like Nathan, the prophet, who goes to David. He gives the, uh, the analogy with Bathsheba, the one little lamb, and, and then he turns to David and he says, thou art the man. Okay, he's using the gift of prophecy there. And so, uh, as we look at this gift, it involves new revelation from God to man. Okay, and uh, beyond that, we'll look at it more later. Uh, now, right after that, though, the last gift in this group of five is the gift of the distinguishing of spirits. I want to take a little closer look at this because I think this is important for you to understand. You might jot some notes down or write a little note in your Bible just to remind you as you uh, come back to this. The gift of the distinguishing of spirits is closely related uh, to prophecy as a companion gift or a twin gift, if you want to call it. I'm, all, I'm into all things twins, right? So it's a twin gift, but it is different. It's just related to it. Uh, and what I want to suggest is that the distinguishing of spirits was the, the spiritual gift that was given to certain believers in the church to examine or weigh the prophetic utterances of other people in the church. Okay, So you could imagine with a gift like prophecy that would be actually hard to measure, to know if it was actually genuine and real, that there would be required checks on the gift. Okay, Ways to evaluate it and judge it. Matter of fact, there are all sorts of Old and New Testament texts that talk about the need to evaluate or examine the gift of prophecy or prophetic utterance. And so the distinguishing of spirits would be the gift that would be given by the Spirit of God to check prophetic utterances. Let me just show you that or prove that to you. Look over at 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 29. 14:29. Okay, near the end of this text, Paul is, is talking about four gifts, tongues, the interpretation of tongues, prophecy, and the way of prophecy. Look down in verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. Weigh what is said. The verb there, weigh, or in some Bibles translated judge, describes this gift as weighing or evaluating prophecy. And that word, way, in the, in the ESV Bible, in verb form, is matched by the word distinguishing in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that we just read. The distinguishing of spirits. There it's in noun form. Here it's in verb form. They come from the same root. Okay, so in 1 Corinthians 14, it, it's, it's apparent that this gift is the one who weighs or judges the prophetic utterances of other people. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the distinguishing of spirits to me just sounds a bit mysterious. Like, what exactly is that? And I want to suggest it was just people gifted in the early church who would weigh or who would distinguish the prophetic utterances of other people. Okay, we got that? All right, let's move along back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We've got two more gifts to cover uh, here at the end of the text. And, and, and these are the juicy ones, although we've had some already, right? Um, so in chapter 10, the middle of the verse, this last gifts of eight here, it says the seventh and the eighth gift, to another various kinds of tongues 
and to another, the interpretation of tongues. When we get to the gift of tongues and the gift of interpretation of tongues, um, we get to uh, more of the heart of the issue. I think Paul includes them in this list just to uh, encourage the Corinthians that he's legitimately going to answer their questions uh, about tongues. Um, Now, in chapter 14, we'll get more of a definition and a description of what tongues were and what they weren't. So I'm going to save some of that for chapter 14, but uh, because I have the bonus time with you this evening, I want to give you uh, just three other texts for you to write down and study. If you want to understand what the Bible has to say about the spiritual gift of tongues, there are really four texts of Scripture that you need to go to. One is 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. This is a very important text of Scripture. Uh, the other ones are found in the book of Acts. Okay, and so in your devotions this week, you could read through these passages. There are three chapters in Acts where the gift of tongues is mentioned. First of all, Acts chapter 2. And uh, uh, the, the disciples at, at Pentecost, you, you've got that text, Acts chapter 2. Tongues are mentioned there. And then later on in Acts chapter 10, when you have uh, Cornelius being converted, tongues are, are mentioned there as a, as a sign that Gentiles are being uh, converted in the same way Jews are. And then in Acts chapter 19, you've got the disciples of John who are uh, baptized. Uh, they're following John's baptism, but then Paul comes. Uh, they're converted, and they begin speaking in tongues as well. So those are the three other texts Uh, for you to look at. I want to look at just one of them this evening. We could look at all of them, but just turn over to Acts chapter 2 for for a moment this evening. And there's one question in particular I want to try to answer from Acts 2, and and that is, what are tongues that are mentioned in the Bible? Okay, so you go to Acts chapter 2, the first instance of this in the New Testament, uh, in uh, in the book of Acts. And you see in Acts chapter 2, in verse 5, uh, as we go through here, I want you to think about the sort of revelation tongues were. Okay? Again, it's God revealing himself to mankind, but let's look a little bit closer. Acts chapter 2, in verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. That's a very important phrase if we're going to understand what tongues is in the New Testament. So you have people in Jerusalem from all kinds of different countries who speak different languages, and something miraculous happens. Disciples start speaking, and they all hear in their own language at the same time. But they do understand it. They hear it in their language. Verse 7, And they were all amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language, Parthenians and Medes, Elamites, and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them, and this is an important phrase too, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. 
And they were all amazed and perplexed at Pentecost here, saying one to another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They're filled with new wine. One of the things I want to point out about this gift, just a very simple observation, again, we're going to do a lot more with tongues as we get into chapter 14, is what sort of revelation is this? And again, I wanted to determine the original source of the revelation and to whom he's communicating. In the book of Acts, in every one of those passages, as you study them out this week, I believe what you'll see uh, clearly in two of the text and implied in one is that it's revelation from God to men that would proclaim something to other men. Okay, so as I picture this revelation in the book of Acts, it's revelation from God to human beings. They would speak and then people would hear in their own language and understand it. Okay, so as you go to those Acts passages, that's what it appears tongues is. It's, they're, it's, they're known human languages that people understand in their own language. The miraculous thing is, well, there's plenty of miraculous things about it, but these disciples perhaps don't even know these languages before they open their mouth and say them. And perhaps also, although it's you know, somewhat controversial, multiple different languages being heard at the same time. It's this miraculous thing that the Old Testament prophesied about. It says, you know, that, that God was going to send various tongues and, and languages in the future. And so it's fulfilled here in Acts 2 and Acts 10 and Acts 19. But that observation is important, right? Revelation from God to men, they preach and proclaim to other men and they hear it in their own language. Now go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 for a moment. And I want us to talk about what's going on in Corinth because that's like the other major passage. And this is where uh, good people see a lot of things differently. I'm sure there are other people in this room who are going to disagree with what I say here. Uh, that's fine. Uh, this is my way of looking through the text and explaining it. This is what I think was occurring. Uh, what I want to suggest that, you know, in Corinth, uh, with the Corinthian believers, that uh, the gift of tongues was still a legitimate gift. I believe what happened in Acts chapter 2 in Jerusalem was happening in different cities across the world as a testimony to the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. He was the Savior. It was a demonstration of that. So I think it's happening in different places. I think it could happen in Corinth. And I think perhaps the gift of tongues was in some ways being done in the right way there. But what I want to suggest was going on in the church is that, uh, and this shouldn't surprise us, right? Is the church of Corinth uh, like a really solid church? You ever heard of many churches called Corinthian Baptist Church or Corinth Baptist Church? If I ever come in here and suggest, you know, we already got the C, let's just call this Corinth Baptist Church, probably not a good idea. I used to joke around about that in class, and then I had a student bring me a clipping from a paper that was, you know, it's Corinth Baptist Church. I'm thinking, man, I don't know if I would have chose that one. Uh, when I think of the church of Corinth, at least 1 Corinthians, they got all kinds of problems, right? We looked at many of them, okay? And what I want to suggest is going on. You're going to have to think about this. Compare this with the scripture and see if, if you would agree with this as well. That in the church of Corinth, when Paul is beginning to answer their question about tongues is, I believe that they had people evidencing the gift of tongues in the right way, which would be revelation from God to believers to proclaim to other people that they would understand in their own language. Okay? But then I also think that in the church of Corinth, one of the most carnal churches in the New Testament, you had some other believers who got it wrong. Okay, is that surprising? 
Or is it surprising it'd be like two different ways or groups in the church of Corinth? I think that there were some who were exercising the, the spiritual gift of tongues in the wrong way, and that Paul will occasionally talk about them in chapter 14. So look at chapter 14 and verse 2. Chapter 14 and verse 2. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. And then look down at verse 9. So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? I think what Paul does with the church of Corinth is he recognizes that there's some believers in the church using the gift improperly. They were claiming that they had the special gift called tongues, which was a prayer language between them and God that no one could understand. Like gibberish or you know, a bunch of vowels and syllables thrown together that no one could understand, perhaps not even themselves. And that what Paul goes about doing in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 is he begins to correct the gift of tongues in about seven or eight different ways. So that by the end, the only sort of gift that will survive all of the corrections of the Apostle Paul is the legitimate gift of, of tongues as God had it proclaimed in the book of Acts. Acts 2, Acts 10, Acts 19. It would be revelation from God to men that other people will understand in their own language. And that the, the private gift of tongues that some of the Corinthians were claiming to have would not survive all of the corrections that Paul gives in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. And the reason I think you know, he has to deal with that in a way is because the gift is still legitimate. It's still uh, a, a, a true spiritual gift. And so Paul can't say, just stop it. That'd be like easier, right? Got a church all mixed up. Just stop speaking in tongues. Because it's still a legitimate gift. But Paul will go about correcting it. So what I want to do is I want to be able to, over the course of the never, next several weeks as we go through here, just demonstrate that to you and, and show you that, okay? But again, you should look at the scriptures yourself and see if you think that that's what the scriptures teach about this gift of tongues. Uh, now go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 for a moment, and uh, we'll, we'll begin to wrap up this a bit more. One other observation about tongues beyond defining them or proving some of my statements to you I just made that we'll do in chapter 14 is I want you to notice that when these gifts are listed, they always come last. Okay, so in this passage, and then a little bit later on in chapter 12, verses 28 through 30. So in verses 28 through 30, you have like, he's going through lists of gifts. He says, first, you've been given apostles, second, prophets, then teachers, and then skip a bunch. What's at the end? Tongues and prophecy. Or, uh, sorry, tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Uh, that's led a lot of people to really think about, well, why are these gifts last in the list when they're mentioned? And there's a lot floating around what people think. I, I think we say too much sometimes about it. I just think, personally, that Paul's putting these gifts last because the Corinthian church was always putting them first. Like, they're uplifting them on a pedestal as, like, being the most significant gifts. People speak in tongues. They're the spiritual. So Paul always puts them at the last and knock them down a few rungs and say, you know what, we're all, all these gifts are on the same level. Okay. 
But the key point in verses 8 through 10 is to emphasize the extent of the gifts. Gifts are given to each believer. We all have gifts. I think the Corinthians may have been boasting as if tongues made them unique and special. That God had given them a special gift that others just didn't have or they couldn't compare. But I think their bragging is a little bit like someone coming into the room claiming to have some special gift from a president or a celebrity or something. You know, hey, look at the sticker I got from the president. And then that person realizing that every other person in the room's got a sticker from the president. Okay, so I think that's what Paul is saying. Paul's basically saying, you know what? All gifts are important. Each believer's been given gifts. Okay? And uh, that would be the extent of the gifts. I want to look at one more verse with you. I know we're about done, but verse 11. Verse 11, I think, in Paul's theology of the gifts is the source of the gifts. Verse 11 says, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. We already looked at the distribution of the gifts, the whole Godhead's involved here. He reminds us again that all gifts, grace gifts, are empowered by the Spirit who apportions in each believer as he wills. It's one of my favorite parts of this passage. That grace gifts are assigned to us, or at least our primary grace gifts, are assigned to us by the Spirit of God. Okay? And uh, that would be important for us to see in verse 11. All these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as the Spirit wills it. Okay, so the gifts that you've been given by God, your primary spiritual gifts, come as a result of the will of the Holy Spirit of God. And I think that this is important for a few reasons. Uh, one, as we close here, uh, just in my own Christian experience. Uh, my own Christian experience has been one where, I, you know, for years in my Christian experience, I was uncomfortable with my own primary spiritual gift. You ever compared yourself to another believer and their giftedness from God? I just say, yeah, I, I just like don't even compare. I remember, especially as a young preacher, I would compare myself to, you know, someone who is really gifted in, say, like evangelism or someone who is gifted with hospitality or in leadership or ruling gifts. And I would grow discontent. As we close, I, I think that that discontentment that we feel is both good and bad. It's good and bad for me. It's good in that, uh, foundationally, I believe that Paul would have us desire, or uh, Paul would have us grow in all the areas of giftedness that are mentioned in this text and others. A little bit later in the text, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 31, Paul says, covet earnestly the higher gifts, or desire the higher gifts. And uh, there I'm going to suggest that the higher gifts are gifts for edification that build. Okay? But Paul there says that we are to desire the greater gifts. And uh, the point I want to make from that is, I don't think Paul would have us desire something that we couldn't get. So, in other words, just because I'm not given and say, hospitality, doesn't mean I just say, you know, I don't have that gift. I'll just, you know, be mean to people, I guess. I suppose I won't work on it. 
Or just because I'm not gifted in any way in evangelism, does that mean I just, I don't, I don't, I, you know, I don't have to go out and evangelize? Or you go through the list, I, you know, I'm gifted in leadership, or really, does that mean I just, you know, uh, well, I have a different gift. Now, I think Paul would say desire, covet earnestly the, the greater gifts. He's, I think, demonstrating that we can grow in areas of giftedness and develop, and, and uh, by the help of the Spirit, get other gifts. And so, in that way, I think it was good for me to be discontent with myself in areas like evangelism, hospitality, leadership, gifts, and so on. However, I think it was also bad for me to compare, compare myself to other people in the church. And that discontentment was bad for me because God, through the Spirit, after conversion, gifted me in a special way for the church. We all got different gifts, right? Primary spiritual gifts. Um, you know, mine might be teaching. You'll have to be the judge of that at some point or other. Okay. But if God has given me a gift like teaching, then I think that I have the responsibility to not neglect the gift. As a matter of fact, uh, a little bit later on in the pastoral epistles, Paul tells Timothy. Remember what he tells Timothy? Fan into flame the gifts that were given to you. Gifts that were given to you. What is he saying there? I think he's basically saying you need to develop and use your primary area of spiritual giftedness for the Lord. So one of the questions I said we might answer as we go throughout here is, does everyone have a spiritual gift? How would you answer that? Does every believer have a spiritual gift? I think so. We've all been given grace gifts by God. Is it possible to have more than one gift? We have to think through that. And, and, and I want to suggest that we, we should be growing in all of the areas of giftedness that are still applicable and helpful for the church. Because the point, as I see it in this text, is that God gifts each believer for the common good of the assembly. And we should use our gifts for his glory. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Matter of fact, why don't we stand, and I'll close this way. Let's go ahead and stand. We're a little after 6 o'clock. I'll close this in a word of prayer, and we'll be dismissed. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the privilege of being here this evening and working through the Scriptures. I pray, Lord, that uh, these believers who are in the room, uh, Lord, would, would take their Bibles this week. pray that they would study uh, these other texts of Scripture, to try to determine and distinguish exactly what these gifts are and what the intent that you had for the Corinthian assembly was. And, and then, Lord, would you give them wisdom in knowing how to apply that to their own life? Lord, we're thankful for what we begin to, we've begun to see about the gifts so far, the distribution of them, the whole Godhead's involved in giving the gifts and producing the effects and the results of our gifts. And the extent of them, we all have spiritual gifts. And the source, the Spirit, gives gifts as he wills. I pray that we would all be willing to use our gifts in this assembly for your honor and your glory. Please help us do so as we leave this evening and as we live this week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.